Welcome to series two, episode three of the All Things Mental Health podcast. I'm Aniska, your presenter, and today we are excited to have John DePuri with us. John is the Assistant Director of Policy at Universities UK. John currently leads policy programmes on higher education, innovation and health and directs the University UK's research networks. In this episode, John and I will be discussing how mental health and well-being underpins our success in relation to learning. John, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to be here in East Current. Um, It's worth noting that every job description, such as the one that you read out, has been uh, sort of uh, warped through a COVID lens. So actually a lot of my work is really COVID focused at the moment, but still very much on well-being, safety and health, um, students and staff, uh, as we think about universities under COVID and under these, um, under the pressures of the pandemic. So, like everyone, our, our JDs have shifted and moved and uh, become something else for the duration of the pandemic, plus our workloads, I might add, but but I'm sure that we're all familiar with those pressures as well. But great to be here. So, when you first started working in this sector, what was it that you thought needed sort of reforming in relation to higher education's response to mental health and wellbeing? So, I'm... I'm relatively recent in the higher education sector um, and before working in HE in, in HE policy, I was working in health policy. So working actually across um, NIHR, which is the National Institute for Health Research uh, and the NHS Confederation, which is the group that represents NHS delivery bodies, provider bodies. Um, and before that was working in in uh, all sorts of other things, arts, health and development and so on and so on. But, but I am relatively new to universities and I was very struck when I joined Universities UK um, to lead the health desk there, which traditionally had focused on health workforce, so uh, medics, uh, nurses, allied health training, um, and on health research, health innovation, that actually the health and well-being of our own populations in universities was largely assumed. It was a given. And was very aware of the narrative, um, the strong public narratives around a crisis in student mental health uh, and the complete absence of a narrative about staff mental health. Um, And increasingly felt that we needed to take a proactive approach to this. Um, Universities are not health delivery bodies, organisations, but they are absolutely health settings. And my understanding quite early on, it took me a while to persuade others about this, was that we needed to, for them to be, if you like, intentional health settings, aware of the impact they were having on the various determinants of health and well-being for our pretty significant populations, you know, uh, 2.3 million students and and half a million staff across the UK. Um, This is is significant and even more significant when you recognise that half of all young adults go through some kind of HE setting after they leave school. Um, So there's a narrative about crisis, but there was also clearly a narrative 
a less visible narrative about the opportunity to transform the health outcomes for this population of students and of staff. Well, and this sort of works really nicely with what we're about to lead on to now about how you know, opening up this discussion around how mental health and well-being underpins our success in relation to learning. And John, I know this is something that you're very passionate about, and it also drives your outlook in relation to the work that you do, as you've just kind of inferred just now. It would be great to hear your insights in relation to this, but in particular, how you've sort of stressed that mental health filters down through everything with regards to learning. And then because of this, then this importance of really paying attention to it across the board, at the university. Yes, I mean, in a way, uh, it's a it's a paradigm shift for the sector, um, but it could not be a more obvious proposition, could it? That our own individual health, our own sense of well-being, you know, determined by our sense of belonging, our our sense of uh, comfort, by our own mental health, uh, and where we are on 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 our own mental health scale uh, i i think it's no longer really right to think of mental health as a simple continuum it's a very complex matrix of of determinants and states of being and indeed clinical states um uh, uh at at certain points in the matrix but all of that clearly underpins our ability to engage our ability to learn and our ability to perform in in the widest sense. And I wouldn't say that universities have been slower than other sectors to understand this. I think there's been a move in the corporate world, uh, both in private business uh, and also in the public sector corporate world, to understand, not always to implement, but to understand that how important the well-being, health, mental health of our populations, of our communities is to achieve the objectives of those organisations and, of course, the objectives of the individuals who work in them. So I don't think it's a startling idea, but it is a new idea. And increasingly, the evidence supports it. Increasingly, this kind of what I might call a population health view of organizations in this case universities starts to take hold so that that's at one end of this at the other end there was clearly uh, you know there's clearly an understanding that students who are not supported in their well-being and mental health were um, at risk of underperforming to their own standards and to what their institutions expected from them um, when their mental health suffered. So we know that mental health was the major cause of uh, issues around non-continuation of courses by students, was a major cause of students not completing work or not completing assignments, not taking uh, assessments and evaluations. So clearly mental health mitigates learning and learning success. Um, Again, I don't think it was a a sort of startling insight that our team had at UK. There were lots of people across the sector understanding this. Um, That's my cat you can hear in the background now, I think. I think what was important at UUK was understanding the level of priority this needed to be accorded for change to happen, for the paradigm to be the new paradigm to be implemented. Um, you know, there'd been a history of 
support for students through counselling and through mental health support since the early days post post war post post second world war but it was very much for students who were in diagnosed mental health difficulty diagnosed illness there's also a strong tradition of student campaigning around well-being and mental health and that student campaigning had gone into the political sphere through the involvement of parents and i would signal the involvement particularly of parents bereaved by suicide so parents who had lost children whilst they were studying at university to suicide so i think there were sort of multiple narratives coming together at a certain point and uk was really the only place where these narratives could be convened and the right level of priority could be assigned to this program of change i don't really see uk as leading the work i see us as um one of a number of key partners particularly involved in convening the work so it's a collective approach i think and and that is about the fact that this is clearly a, a complex challenge we're talking about whole system changes we're not just talking about what universities can and should do in the space we're also thinking about mental health and well-being along the life journey so universities get students who are in a certain state of well-being at the start of their university career but they also sit within local systems of health and well-being of course uh, a big intersection with the health sector and health system but everything that that people experience in the community mitigates their their health and well-being so the kind of transport that they take to go to campus the 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 kind of um conditions that they have in their accommodation the atmospheres around security and safety in for example the urban areas where they live the air conditions where they live and so on and so on and so on everything is a determinant of our well-being uh, in in that environment the idea that, that there are single points of leadership and i borrow a lot from health improvement theory in this area which is this has to be around collective efforts to essentially address complex and collective challenges um i do think there is a particularly important role for co-production with end users and with key delivery you know frontline staff but i also think there's a really important role for senior leadership and in particular that's the constituency i work with at uk and in particular that's to shape the priority to assign the priority to shape the cultures that allow that priority to be expressed and then if you like to fix the plumbing where there is governance or policy that blocks that priority so if there are certain structures that are blocking or contraindicated for well-being actually it's a responsibility for senior leadership to understand how those must be changed it is critically important that senior leaders are involved i don't think this is something that can happen just through grassroots activism i think you you need to have senior leaders accountable and driving leading change in this 
leading the open conversations, but also leading the improvement effort. Definitely. And also in each different situation with that senior leadership, they're also responding to that local issue as well that might be happening in that specific space. They know the institution and being able to mobilise all those people together in, like you said, in this collective way is the only way through this unity to really help. Uh, I, I really agree, Aniska. And I think that, um, I mean, in some ways the shift that we're hoping to achieve is from a reactive approach to mental health, which inevitably focuses on those who are already in difficulty and how we support those in difficulty. And it's been a reactive and fragmented approach, a huge amount of effort, a lot of very good practice from university support services, a lot of dislocation from NHS and health sector efforts for around young adult mental health and that's a a whole other story and what we're trying to do is shift to a proactive approach which really looks at the mental health and well-being of a whole population including those in difficulty requiring specific support but thinking about all of the preventive measures that we can take all of the environmental changes that we need to make so that universities are health settings healthy settings Uh, and i mean my ambition quietly on this is we talk a lot about learning gain in our universities i really think that we should be thinking about health gain alongside learning gain as a foundation for for life um, for employability for personal satisfaction happiness and all, all the other things that we know We know that graduateness is not just about learning a set of skills or knowledge. It is about a much wider uh, appreciation, um, a a much wider set of skills and aptitudes. And I would include health, personal health and well-being as a key aptitude. And I know that employers are increasingly looking for it, actually, as well. Exactly. And also, we say that these institutions at this point are to provide you with a foundation to support you as you propel forwards into the work sector. It gives you the skill sets that you may acquire from the degree, different forms of research, et cetera, et cetera. And and the social skills you gain in those settings and different things you get involved with. And on top of that, also the health. And this is something that you can take forward with you through the rest of your life, as you were saying, this is what we mean by the success it has in relation to your learning. It does underpin that and it underpins your whole experience at university, but it's also something that, like all these other tools that those institutions can give you, is something that it should also be helping you to nurture. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you've, and you've split it off really well there because actually we've tended to think of mental health support as keeping people on track with their learning. But actually we ought to be thinking about health gain as one of the things that universities are there for. It should be a core purpose of the university. I mean, it, it, it's really interesting, isn't it? And, and there are two further comments on this. One is the impact of COVID on this and the fact that actually I think universities have, made a huge effort teaching staff have made extraordinary efforts to move teaching online to support students um, in their learning online but actually students recognized the huge gap in the experience that they're getting uh, through the pandemic and it is a social experience and social in 
in terms of social intelligence, the kind of social intelligence that they gain around their formal learning, around the kind of transactional learning that they're involved in. Um, and, and COVID has really pointed to the importance of that. I would say, uh, and, and again, uh, this is a piece of work that we're still shaping at the moment, 12 senior leaders and their immediate teams from 12 universities across the UK, um, so uh, DAs as well, um, are involved in a piece of work with us, uh, some real expertise brought in from kind of global consultants in the field on how we see health and well-being as an organisational priority. So not just about supporting students to stay on course and supporting staff to stay in work, but really putting health as a pillar as, as, as a key objective of our universities and health gain for staff and students as a key outcome of that objective. Uh, and these 12 universities in their different ways and their very, very varied institutions from kind of a large Russell group through to no small and specialist, but certainly some more local, uh, you know, much more teaching focused universities they all are getting very different things out of this work around prioritization and implementation of the priority at senior leadership level. But what some of the key learnings, I think, are you can't do this unless you have a sense of yourself as uh, an individual subject to the determinants of health and well-being and your own mental health and well-being uh, as a key attribute, but but a shifting variable, if you like, as well. And it's been very interesting talking and working with senior leaders on their own mental health and well-being. It's striking, and I think we've, we've discussed this before, Aniska, that there isn't a single vice-chancellor who talks openly about mental health difficulties. And this is rare in sectors at the moment. If you look at FTSE 500, there are a number of chief execs who disclose very openly about mental health difficulties. And that creates a culture of openness in their organisations where mental health is worked with rather than hidden. Um, equally, I can think of a number of NHS trust chief execs, you know, big organisations, the same kind of size as universities, who talk openly about their personal mental health difficulties. Um, I'm always very ready to talk about my own history of mental health difficulties. I think it's very, and, and, and I've done so at Universities UK, to encourage colleagues to think and talk openly about difficulty, but also about how mental health underpins everything. Even when we're feeling good, it underpins everything. So I, I think there is something about senior leadership in universities and and bringing them to an understanding of the priority and, and implementation of the priority as well. This is it. And I know you've spoken about how we all have, like you said, we all have and own the experience of mental health and well-being. And, and what do you sort of mean by that then? I, I think we... I mean, this is at the same time a collective challenge, but an individual experience, isn't it? It's one of the reasons why this is such a complex um, set of possibilities for us. Um, we know that we experience mental health as individuals, good and bad. 
but actually many of the many of the sort of uh, determinants of it and indeed the solutions the interventions for it are in the collective space so individual experience but collective answers and I mean, therein do you have the complexity of the challenge, because actually, if you go and really look at what is meant by collective answers or a collectivity of answers, actually, you're talking about complex systems, you're talking about cross-sectoral efforts, you're talking about imp almost impossible things like the Department for Education working effectively with the Department for Health and Social Care, where two ministers talking together on a regular basis. These are things that don't normally happen. Uh, and perhaps it's one of the opportunities of the pandemic that, that maybe they are finally starting to happen. And some of those kind of individual to co collective to complex system challenges can actually be addressed and at some pace as well. John, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It's been a pleasure to have you with us. Same, Aniskan. I, I, I really look forward to tuning in to other episodes of the, of the podcast and uh, anything else you put out. It's been a real pleasure being here.